who behold the day of his coming, running like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, and he shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. God, God, God will make the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. What's he going to do to the wicked in chapter 4, verse 1? How thoroughly? Yes. Leaving neither root nor branch, they're not going to come back. They're going to be totally destroyed. I know that hasn't happened yet, but that's what will happen. You can count on that. The wicked will not get by with their wickedness. What about the righteous who fear his name? Yes. The sun will shine on them and heal them. They'll skip about like calves from the stall. They'll be jubilant and exultant, and they will tread down the wicked who will become incinerated under the soles of their feet. God will give the righteous victory over the wicked. It's not right now. Would you say right now that every righteous person has more stuff than the wicked? That every righteous person is more dominant than the wicked? Etc. Not at all. But in the end, the righteous will be blessed and the wicked will be punished. Sometimes we get upset, you know, because, I don't know, the wicked people are picking on us or they're laughing at us or whatever. Would you want to trade places with them? No. No. Now when you think about where they're going to end up. So, you know, they've been complaining because they think God's unjust. God's reaffirming his principles of justice. In the end, we have to trust him. Comments, of course. Do you say this is looking forward to the judgment? I do. I think so. I think ultimately, yes. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't judgments God makes along the way. It seems to me like this, I mean, this um, ties back into chapter, you know, through, mm-hmm. you know, I'll send my messenger, blah, 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 and be like a refiner's fire, longer or so, um, you know, that seems to me to be the fit, kind of fit. I mean, it's true, the application is the end of the world. I mean, as far as, I mean, the general principle, we could we could make an application, but it seems like more to me has been dealing with um, these questions of, you know, we're in the Lord, you know, everyone does evil is good, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly don't disagree with that. I, mean, I think, you know, God, in what he's doing, even through sending Christ and so forth, is making judgments. Certainly he's brought the wicked down over and over again, and he's certainly blessed those who fear his name. But, you know, even at that, even under Christ's regime, we still wouldn't say that all the righteous seem to be blessed and all the wicked seem to be punished. So I think, ultimately, we look forward to this in, in the, the ultimate sense in the judgment. But, but certainly there's pre- preliminary fulfillments of this as well. Other thoughts? I look at the last three verses then of Malachi. Four to six.
remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in order for all Israel, both the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. We think then these are the ultimate, uh, the final prophetic exhortations in the Old Testament period. So you think, what's the last thing God wants to leave his people with before he is silent for 400 years? Well, these are pretty good things. Verse 4, what did he tell them to look at? Remember the law. Yeah. Look back at the law. You've always got to go back to what God has taught, what he commands, and follow it. You know, that's a great parting exhortation. Remember God's commandments. Remember the law. Don't stray away from that. And verse 5 and 6, what's he looking at? Yeah. He's looking forward to Elijah coming. I thought Elijah had already come. Wasn't well, Elijah an Old Testament figure? It could be, but it isn't. It's bigger. Elijah kind of represent the age of the prophets and that kind of. He sort of does. Isn't kind of related to the fact that John is coming. Exactly. The Elijah he's talking about here, I believe, is John the Baptist, who's a prophet like Elijah. In fact, this is so fascinating. When God breaks his silence. By Gabriel speaking to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, he says in verse 17 about the son of Zechariah, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children that is obedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God, the first time he speaks again, will make reference to this very passage and say, Elijah, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, is coming to prepare people for the Lord. He's going to call the people back to the faithfulness of their forefathers, the patriarchs. And the hearts of the forefathers, like Abraham and so forth, will live again in the obedience of these children. John is bringing people back to faithfulness to God. That was his uh, mission as he was trying to make the people ready for the Lord to suddenly come. Now why call him Elijah? Why would Malachi say, I'm going to send you Elijah? What? In what if God had said <clears throat> in the Malachi, I'm going to send you John the Baptist? <laughs> That'd really be meaningful, wouldn't it? You know, in their perspective. You you speak of the future in terms of past things that you can relate to. So was John like Elijah? Oh, yeah. And he even dressed like him. You know, a 
prophet of judgment in an evil time? Calling the people to repentance? Absolutely. Um, notice then, this passage, the last passage in the Old Testament, links together what two great figures of the Old Testament? Moses and Elijah. Where do you see them again? Isn't that interesting? And uh, so he's calling them back to the law of Moses and forward to the, the next Elijah who's coming to bring the people back to God. And he does that so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Last word God speaks in the era of the Old Testament. A curse. The Jews didn't like that. They had a few books that they just didn't want to end that way. So when the Jews read this publicly, they went back after verse 6 and read verse 5 again. So it didn't end with a curse. But perhaps God intended for the Old Testament revelation to end with a curse. I think there's probably some symbolic significance in that. Comments and questions on this? I always uh, like to see the just the different instances where you see God's foresight, you know, that he has the, that he can just, he sees beyond our comprehension. Like he's, he doesn't see in just one area. Like when he's talking to to us or through Malachi, he's, he's thinking about the future too. He's like everywhere when he talks. Good point. Yeah, he knows what's coming. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, the prophecies are really striking examples of how God knows what's going to happen. Patrick? Uh, I think it's just really cool just to think of, you know, the Old Testament era as a whole. I mean, God, you know, in the days of creation, created the universe, went through the patriarchs, and then into the Mosaic Age, and went through all these prophets, and went to captivity, and then were to this point. You know, we just see it's all summed up to the very final point a curse. You know, it kind of shows it kind of shows how how we are as people, you know, just God has been so good to us, He's given He gave the Israelites every opportunity to serve Him and be prosperous and it ends with a curse because of their own actions. And I think that's a good lesson for us. Absolutely. Larry. Um, I think it's interesting that, that after all these years the Lord says to Malachi, remember, remember Moses. God didn't say, you know, a lot of people think the idea of, of religion. God didn't add anything new. He said, oh, here's something new. He always went back to what was already spoken in the law. And I said with the New Testament, God has spoken. He's done speaking. If we don't listen to Jesus, there is no other way. There's no new revelation. And they were to listen to what they had to people today, you know, they want to improve on what God has said. God's done speaking. If we won't listen to that, we're not going to listen at all. And we've added to what God has said. Amen. That's exactly right. You know, I was thinking, you know, about how uh, Jake and others have talked about how uh, wise God is, and First Corinthians 125 says that God's foolishness is wiser than us, you know? So, I mean, as, as foolish as God is, our wisdom can never be above his foolishness. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a funny, and also says, I mean, we certainly aren't going to uh, come up with something wiser than what he has. Other 
what I know about Malachi. Good, good discussion. Really good discussion today. Encouraging. And uh, there's just a lot in books like this. I mean, you know, I just continue to marvel at how practical God's Word is and how much we need every single part of it. You know, so we just need to constantly be studying and applying ourselves to getting more and more out of all of these passages. And uh, it's good to be able to study together. I appreciate you taking your time out to, uh, to do that. So... Um, why don't we uh, why don't we uh, perhaps have a prayer and then I guess we have other announcements or whatever Jonathan you want to use the prayer uh, dear God and Father in heaven we come before you this day humble before your presence you are dear God you are a great and, and merciful God and we know that we don't deserve anything that you have given us but you are so great and awesome you look at us and you love us, dear God, and we thank you so much for recognizing us as individuals. Dear God, we thank you for all the many people that are in this world that try to live like you. We know we're not perfect, dear God, and we're far from you. And your foolishness is still greater than our wisdom, dear God, but we ask that you please be with us as we try to live in this world of sin and corruption and we ask that you please help us to always let our light shine throughout this world and show you living in us. Dear Lord, we thank you for each individual person that has come out either last night and also this morning to lift each other up in, in songs and in a devotion. And we thank you for all the encouragement that we receive. Dear Lord, we ask that you please move us as we are about to depart from this place. Help us to take what we have learned tonight and apply it to our lives so that we can bring others to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who you sent to die on the cross for all our sins so that we might have a, a hope of heaven with you someday. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.